Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for um, letting me start Advent off with everybody. Hi. Today I do, I do, I have the joy of kicking off this uh, new series for the month of December, and it is an Advent series titled Dwelling Places. Everyone here has a different definition of home and the places where we belong. Some people may find home not in physical spaces, but instead in belonging to a community that accepts us for the entirety of who God has created us to be. Advent and Christmas are a homecoming of sorts. God found a new home among us in the body of Jesus Christ. God will find his home again in the second coming of Christ as we await his return. The dwelling places where we find Christ today can be in our mangers, surrounded by parents, shepherds, variety of animals, and also through moves of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes those dwelling places, they take us by surprise. Sometimes those dwelling places can also be where we experience the most comfort and joy, where we truly belong in creation. Advent begins by talking about the end of the world as we know it. So it might seem nice to think about um, sweet baby Jesus lying in the manger when we get to Christmas. But we have Mark's gospel that is a little unsettling this first Sunday of Advent. So yeah, let's think about precious baby Jesus in the manger. We all know the scene, some animals, a star. But we must remember that Advent is also about the day and the hour when Christ returns. So we are, we are in this, this anticipation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus but also we are in anticipation for his second coming. However, let's think about the uncertainty that comes along with not knowing when that will be. What does that day mean for us? How does not knowing when he will be back impact us right here and right now? How are we to live? Think of how we order our days and how we plan. Some of us maybe are finishing part of a school year, we've got the end of the fiscal year, we've got the end of the calendar year, which is just a few weeks away. It's an end time. This end time, though, is colliding with the start of our church year and a new beginning. During these end times, right, we're finishing up fiscal years, semesters, calendar year, and when that happens, we're often tired, we're often burnt out, exhausted, maybe even stressed. We're probably looking forward to some blessed time off. We're waiting for a time that we can just chill. We've been doing all the things and now we don't want to do any of the things. We're looking forward to a break. It's great to take breaks physically and emotionally. Take time to stop overcommitting ourselves. However, Jesus calls us to not take any sort of spiritual breaks, if you will, as tempting as it may be. And I feel like it could be especially tempting when faced with that mother of all uncertainty, and that is 
We don't know when he will be back. Spiritual breaks, those are in contradiction with our faith lives, our journeys of newness, and are being called to be awake. Let's take a look at this together. So if you would, turn with me in your Bible. Uh, we're going to go to Mark, and we're going to go to chapter 13, 24 through 37. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of God, or nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Before we start chewing on this, it's helpful to know how we got here. The first half of this chapter, chapter 13, tells us that Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's with four of his disciples. And verse four, they ask him, tell me about the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times, essentially. They want to know. Jesus responds to the destruction of the temple, warns the false messiahs, and encourages them to stay vigilant amid the hard times. And then that leads us to the second part of his response, which is here, what we've just read. And it's a response to the question of, when will the end times happen? They've asked him when. They're understandably curious. I think that if I or anybody were there with Jesus, we would kind of want to know. They're curious. They want to know when, because they want to know the time to expect him. Think of how we order our time. The chronological passage of seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, all of it. We see the passage of time on our watches, our clocks, our cell phones, our calendars, whatever we're using to measure and keep track of time. And it feels comforting, doesn't it? It feels comforting and predictable and measured and orderly. We plan everything. We want to know when to expect everything. This is what we do. 
Our chronological notions of time can never be compared to or described against God's timing. So they've asked him when. And here's his answer. He answers first by assuring them that not only will he be back, but there will be absolutely no question as to what is happening when it happens. The sun is darkened. The moon is not giving light. Stars are falling. The heavens are shaking. It's all going to happen. Everything will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He is He's being so Jesus right now, and I love it. He's creating and fulfilling hope in that one ball there. He's creating hope, their hope, our hope, by saying, hey, guess what? I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for all of you. And that's the hope that every single one of us need. That's the hope that we can cling to. Every one of us can sit here and cling to that hope. And it says it's all worth it. All of the things, all of the stuff, all that we're dealing with, all that we're going through, it's all going to be worth it. Created their hope. Then he fulfilled it. Fulfilled their hope, fulfilled our hope by saying every single thing will pass away. And even then, my words will remain true. So he's, he's literally saying that no matter what, I am coming back. He then says, also, I don't know the hour of the day. Neither do the angels. Only God knows. So he tells them what to do while they're waiting, while we are waiting. He says he's coming back doesn't know when, but here's what you're going to do while you're waiting. Be on guard, be alert, and watch. And he tells them to do this through a short parable of a man who is leaving for a while. He leaves his house to his servants, plural, servants. We'll, we'll come back to that. Each with their assigned task. They don't know when he will be back, so don't get caught sleeping. Watch. Obviously, Jesus is not talking about actual sleeping, okay? He's talking about being faithful with the task that the master of the house, the owner of the house, has given them in community. This isn't just one person. This is an entire household working together doing their jobs while they are on guard and alert and watching. So Jesus didn't exactly give them what they wanted. They were looking for an answer of when. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't give them what they wanted, but he gave them what they needed. Because to be honest, even if they did know the time, would it matter? I think it would matter. It would. But I don't think it would be good. If they knew, would they understand the necessity of doing what God has tasked them and entrusted them with? Would we? If we knew, would we understand the necessity? I don't know. 
I would say probably not. If they knew the exact time, if we knew the exact time, how much, how much room would that allow for relationship building between us and Christ, us and God, and independence on the Holy Spirit? In a world whose only job is to distract, confuse, and misguide God's people, doesn't that kind of seem like a home run for the enemy, for us to know exactly when Jesus is coming back? Because knowing the time that he's coming back doesn't really allow the change that needs to take place in our sinful hearts. We put things off if we know when he's coming back. If we know when mom and dad, so mom and dad are leaving for the weekend and they leave both of their kids in charge, their teens, of course. Don't do anything jacked up. Don't do anything crazy. Put your, put your dishes away. Put your, uh, clean up your clothes. Do the right thing. Do what I'm asking you to do. Don't do anything that you wouldn't be allowed to do. Kids know mom and dad is coming. They're coming home on Sunday. As soon as they leave, kids know when they're coming home. So the kids know Friday night they're throwing a party. They're inviting all of their friends. They're doing all of the things. They're doing all of them. They know they're not supposed to. They've got time, though. They're human beings, for crying out loud. They've got time. They can do whatever they want. They know when they're coming back. But mom and dad come home Friday night. Plane got delayed, whatever. They're faced with all of this stuff. And it's one thing... It's one thing if, you know, they didn't put the dishes away when they were, you know, outside of the party. If they were, you know, if they forgot to put the dishes away, their parents aren't expecting them to be perfect. They're expecting them to do the right thing. We make mistakes. But choosing to actively do the wrong thing, that's on them. It's just something to think about. So by Jesus giving them the answer that they needed instead of what they wanted, what he is doing is he's pointing them directly to God for trust. He's pointing them to himself for trust, to the Holy Spirit for trust. He answers them with the importance of readiness, but not through fear, through a fulfilled hope. Hope is a, a beautiful and amazing thing. It is joyous and it does not begrudging in the least. And what I mean by that, we can... We can be cranky and resentful Christians who have hope, barely making it through by the skin of our teeth. I've seen it. And if I'm being honest, I've gone through seasons where I've been it. There are even days periodically where I fall into it now. But I don't think that that is the response that Jesus was calling to calling us to when he provided that hope for us. Should we be there? Ugh, I'm just doing this until Jesus comes back. Ugh, I hate it all. You know, it, what even is that? But we can get sucked into that trap very quickly when things aren't going our way, when things aren't lining up with our timing. All of that to say, we want answers. Jesus wants a relationship. And that is exactly what is modeled by his response to win. Our ways are not God's ways. 
especially when it comes to the timing of events. God's timing may not seem nice or convenient or measured or orderly. Sometimes God seems to break into our lives at the most inconvenient time in our everyday lives. Just barrels right in there. Then our God collides, our time <coughs> collides with God's time. In today's gospel, what we've read and what we're learning and what we're, we're, we're dissecting is that it's, it's cluing us into God's time. And by cluing us into God's time, we learn very quickly that we have no idea how God's time works or when it works. We don't know. But also, we don't need to know. We've been given what we need. We've been given what, what, what we should do. And how do we know that God's timing is at work? Well, because it's, it's been at work throughout the entire course of history. Look at the Bible. God has been at work, but he's been at work on his time. And, it, and he works in these incredible and unexpected ways. What about that hour over a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, when so many were asleep in Bethlehem, the hour when God unexpectedly broke into our world. He broke into our world in a manger as a baby, not clothed in majesty and power, what everybody expected. And honestly, I would too. I mean, if I didn't know how the Bible ended, when I'm first reading it, that's exactly what I would expect. All right, there's going to be this big, powerful, you know, he's going to know. He's a baby in a manger, not clothed in majesty and power, but in utter humility and helplessness. We didn't see that coming. And as Christians, we cannot write off that unexpected hour. We can't do it. We don't know a lot. We learn that every day. We don't know exactly what is to come. We don't know when. Therefore, we can't exactly plan. And we don't like not being able to plan. We don't like not being able to not know things. But we, we do know a few. We know who is coming. And that takes precedence over not knowing what or when, right? We know who he is. We know that he is coming. We also know that this time of waiting within God's time is not a time of passivity. And that means we're not just sitting around collecting. Jesus' parable of the servants, they were doing their task, their jobs, whatever you want to call them, while being on watch, while being alert. We know that they're not called, that we are not called to do it alone. They were actively waiting. They were being engaged in the community of other servants. This, the first commandment is to love God. The second commandment is to love others. You cannot love others if you are not in relation with them. When we are in community with each other, we are preparing together. We are watching together. We are discerning together when we're confused about things that are going on. 
We are encouraging one another when we are discouraged because every one of us get discouraged. Every one of us do. And how did you get encouraged? Well, probably by somebody who was brought into your life. Additionally, none of us came to faith in Christ by ourselves, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I don't know if I can actually say that like for a definitive, but every one of us made a choice because of something that we either saw in someone else, that somebody spoke to us. We, we just didn't like, oh, okay, I'm going to be a Christian. It, it, I don't think it happens like that. It's by the influence of others, the community that you're living in, the people that you're around, that you're with. That's how it happens. And if we want to continue to give that, we have to be in relation with other people. Now, some of us are kind of introverted, like myself, and sometimes it's a little hard, but you do it. You do it and you suck it up and you do it. That's what I do. And because that's, I know at the end of it, at the end of whatever interaction it is that I'm stepping out of my comfort zone to, to fulfill, it's what I'm supposed to do. When we are together, we're not alone. Very simple. Just sit on that for a second. You're not alone. You're not You're not something that's waiting to be taken advantage of. You're not something out there that's, you know, the world's just ready to grab a hold of. Because it's very true. The world's job is to deceive us. It's to snatch us up when we're feeling vulnerable and to take us. I've had it happen many times to myself. Many Christians, I'm sure you guys can say the exact same thing. And in those times when we are alone and we are vulnerable and we get snatched up, by whatever the, world, uh, the world's ways are that we're folding to, we've been by ourselves. Like, we, we don't want to talk to people. We don't want to share with people what's going on. We don't, we don't want to because it doesn't, it doesn't fit in our time. Plus, we, it just doesn't feel comfortable. Step outside of that comfort zone. Finally, God's timing is not our timing because God's timing is perfect. Ours isn't. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that automatically you are perfect. I don't know if that's a spoiler alert for anybody. I hope not. Um, sins still exist. We, we still sin. We, have that, we, we actively choose them not to partake in it. God's timing is on ours because his is perfect and ours isn't. As we go about the rest of our day, and we enter into this week. I hope that every one of us will stop to reflect on the assurance that we have of God's perfect timing. I hope that we find comfort in the fact that God has everything orchestrated according, according to his divine plan. We need to take comfort in that. And I hope that our faith is anchored in the certainty that while our understandings are limited, God's timing is flawless.